0: The Christian life is a battle against evil, and if it doesn't feel that way, it might be that you, in fact, are doing nothing for Christ at all. The Christian life is a battle against evil. We strive for justice against the forces of evil on earth and in heaven Christ is at our head, but we need equipping for the battle. We need to know how to fight. So he gives us Psalm 5 to teach us how to pray against evil and how to pray for justice. There are four things I want you to see this morning. And the first is this from Psalm 5. Number one, God delights in prayers for justice. God delights in prayers for justice. And we see this in the first three verses. The Christian life, as I think you would agree, is filled with groaning, with tears, with cries for help. The current world system under the power of Satan gives us a constant reason to groan, to cry, and to pray for justice. Indeed, sorrow over evil is so constant a companion to the godly that the mocking world paints us as pitiful, sullen creatures. Just watch TV. That's, we're always painted that way. As killjoys, as sullen and bitter and despondent. The more they mock, the more we groan, and the more we pray. It isn't right. It's not just, but it's the way things are. In this present world, the cup of evil is filling to the brim, and so we cry out to God. Indeed, we see in Psalm 5 that David's experience of evil drove him to regular and constant prayer. Just look at these opening psalms in the Psalter. So many of them are consumed with the fact that evil abounds. And in Psalm 5, we see David's experience of prayer here. Look at the first two verses as he says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry." my King and my God, for to you do I pray. David's prayer life is described here in these first two verses. Look at the descriptors he uses. My words, my groaning, my cry. This was David's life as a result of the evil forces that were set against him as the anointed of God, as the King of God's people. He cried, he groaned. He poured out his words of defense, but far from giving up. Evil drove David to God for an audience. Evil drove David to God to seek an audience with him. He says to the Lord, give ear, give attention to the sound of my cry. David is pleading with God to listen to his prayers for justice. In a world filled with evil, mocking voices, there is an easy temptation to believe that God doesn't care about our prayers. We saw last week in Psalm 4 how the wearied saints around David as he's fleeing from Absalom are saying, who will show us some good? As if God had abandoned them. As David fled from Absalom, how easy it would have been to doubt that God cared at all about delivering justice. And how easy it can be for us to think that way too. Look at your own life as a believer. Look at the state of the church in the world. Does God care at all about delivering justice? It can be hard to see sometimes. But David entrusted himself to God's sovereign, providential will. We saw that last week. And so also in Psalm 5, David rejoices in God's delight to hear prayers for justice. Look at verse 3, where David says, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. David goes to God's house in confident worship. He goes to God's house knowing that God will hear his prayers for justice. You hear my voice, he declares. And in the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. David knows that God cares for him. And so he watches confidently for his deliverance. David paints a beautiful picture of what we do when we gather together on the Lord's Day to worship and what we do in our own private devotions throughout the week. You know, we wake up, the news headlines are still bad, nothing new. Threats against God's kingdom abound particularly if you subscribe to Voice of the Martyrs or you're in touch with what's going on in the Christian world globally. Threats against God's kingdom abound. And so, what do we do? Do we just give up? No. We worship. We pray. We groan. But we watch for God to answer our prayers. We watch. We expect that it will happen In his good time, we watch with the confident knowledge that God delights in our prayers for justice. The reason he delights in them is because he will answer them. Number two, God hates all evildoers. God hates all evildoers. We see this in verses 4 to 6. Now, hate is strong language, isn't it, in our culture? It's one of those taboo kinds of words. Many nations have legislated hate speech laws to protect various persons or special interest groups. The Bible itself has fallen under the ban of hate speech language in various parts of the world. Now, I personally hate how hate language has been abused and perverted in our current culture. On the one hand, right, like so many words today, the word hate has become a watered-down semblance of its former meaning. You know, today hate is used to describe anything you don't like. I hate running, right? I hate math class. I hate rain, right? We're constantly telling our kids, don't say hate. You know, it's a, it's a little bit strong. Those are not things you should probably hate. They're just things you don't like. I don't like getting shots, right? But on the other hand, Hate has become the one-size-fits-all to get out of any argument that a person or special interest group doesn't like. Hate becomes the get-out-of-jail-free card, the neutralizer, the vaccination, the kryptonite, the trump card against any statement that doesn't fit their narrative. They label any argument or fact they don't like as hate speech so they don't have to deal with it. Hate language has been so abused that one seldom knows when its use is truly warranted. Like, when should we use the word hate? But the Bible gives sufficient instruction, and an evil world would do well to listen. God's complete hatred of evil is the reason that he delights in prayers for justice. God's complete hatred of evil is the reason God delights in prayers for justice. We see David declare God's hatred for evil here in verses 4 to 6. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers, you destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man notice how the intensity builds in this section verse 4 god does not delight verse 5 god hates verse 6 the lord abhors god doesn't just dislike evil he doesn't just hate it he abhors it he loathes it evil doers are an abomination to god God's abhorrence of evils, why David can say in another psalm, Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. You know, when we lost our pre born child earlier this year, the, uh, the, what do you call them? The chaplain, I guess it would be called, the, the priest from the from the church. It was a lady came in to meet with us about the kind of their, kind of the go-between between the hospital and the funeral home. And she had us read Psalm 139, which is what I just cited from here a moment ago. And all the good stuff. God knit us in his mother's womb, he knew us, and so forth. But then we got to the part, do I not hate those who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? This lady just jumped out of the seat. She's like, oh, don't read that part. Don't read that part. So she just wanted me to read the comfortable part. And then when I started going on in the same psalm, she literally had a visceral, this woman priest had a visceral reaction. Don't, don't read that part. And what I told to her is we cannot come and process the grief of the death of our son without understanding the connection between evil and death. And there's no gospel without it. The reason preborn children die, the reason we live in a world of sin and misery, is because evil abounds. And there's no hope if we don't deal with that fact. We must confront the brutal facts of life. And rule number one, God hates evil. And all the sin and misery that we face is the result of our own evil that we contribute to the world. And hatred is a godly feeling in response to evil. It is right and proper to feel hatred when we see evil and injustice in this world. And this world would be in a much better place would noble people rise up once again to call what God calls good and to call evil what God calls evil. But unfortunately, the depravity of man, I think you would agree with me, is so far gone that there is only one mediator who can deliver us from the grip of evil. And it's by faith in his name that we find refuge from God's justice that would otherwise be set against our own evil, abominable deeds. Point number three. God's justice is our refuge through faith. God's justice is our refuge through faith. We see this in verses 7 to 9. David doesn't mince words in Psalm 5, does he? God hates all evildoers. I can't think of a more hated sentence than that in our modern world. David is not messing around. But what about David himself? I mean, what about David himself? I mean, by the time he's fleeing from Absalom, by the time he's fleeing for his own life, David has already done some pretty evil things himself. I mean, just one example, think of Bathsheba, right? He commits adultery with Bathsheba and then he conspires to have her husband killed so that he can marry her. I mean, that's pretty wicked. And that is absolutely Evil. So why could David enter God's house unharmed? Isn't he one of these evildoers also? Grace, Grace is the reason David could enter God's house unharmed. David evokes God's covenant in verse seven follow along with me but i through the abundance of your steadfast love will enter your house i will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you this phrase steadfast love is a translation of the hebrew word hesed which talks about god's covenant love his covenant faithfulness when the word hesed is used in the old testament it evokes God's covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And also, here, God's covenant with David. God made a covenant with David in 2 Samuel 7 that he would not remove his Hesed from his house. God's covenant love for David is the reason he can enter God's house unharmed. He enters by grace. Moreover, David's fear of God gave him a ready welcome. David was not entering into the house of God boastful and prideful. Remember, he was soundly rebuked by Nathan for what he had done. And he came in fear and repentance to God. And David says in verse 7, I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. The word fear is an Old Testament way of describing faith. Think, for example, of Proverbs 1.7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Faith and fear are generally synonymous terms in the Old Testament. And using New Testament language, we could say that David comes before God's presence because of the covenant by grace through faith. Therefore, we can see that Psalm 5 teaches us that God's justice is our refuge only through faith. Otherwise, God's justice would be our judgment. So be careful when you cry for justice, world, because justice means our judgment unless we come through faith to the Lord. David's fear of God matched with God's covenant grace is the reason he can go before God and not be struck down as an evildoer. It's the reason David can speak of God's love for him rather than God's hatred for him. And knowing the evildoer seeking his own life, David hides under God's covenant grace As he prays for justice, look at verses 8 and 9. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me, for there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. The treacherous foe set against David breathes death. Everything that comes out of them is death. He says their throat is an open grave in verse 9. We should note that the Apostle Paul cites this phrase in his litany against sin in Romans 3, when he argues that both Jews and Gentiles are condemned under sin. In Romans 3, verse 9, Paul says, What then, are we Jews any better off? No, not all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, no one is righteous, no one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And then he draws on Psalm 5. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of ass is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. He continues to draw on other Old Testament sources. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God. Before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Paul argues that every one of us. No matter what country you come from, no matter what language you speak, every one of us is condemned under the law. So any cries for justice at this point would only be asking for our judgment to come now. But in verse 8, David asked God to lead him in righteousness because of his enemies. And because David asked God to lead him in righteousness because of his enemies, how much more should we ask God to lead us in righteousness because of our sins? How much more? And this is where we find the gospel, the good news. And we could use some good news in this world. Just as David found refuge in God's justice through faith, so we find refuge from god's wrath through faith in jesus jesus is the way of righteousness for sinners who repent he's the way of the righteous paul goes on to proclaim the gospel in romans 3 after he just damned every one of us he goes on to give us the good news he says in Romans 3, starting verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. So the reason we can worship God this morning without evoking his wrath, the reason we can do that is because we come by faith in Jesus. Or I trust and hope that each of you comes this morning by faith in Jesus. Jesus is the way of the righteous. And it is his sacrifice that satisfied God's wrath that was justly set against us. God had every right and has every right to punish us, let alone the world that mocks. But Jesus becomes our refuge because God put him forward as a sacrifice, an atonement for our sins, and thereby satisfying the justice of God. You know that on the cross, God dealt with David's sins too? God was simply practicing forbearance by not punishing David for his sin with Bathsheba or any other sin he committed. In his divine forbearance, he was looking ahead to the sending of his son to die on the cross, which makes God both just and the justifier of all who have faith in Jesus? Isn't that the big difference between Christianity, the true gospel, and all other religions? I think particularly of Islam, where it's just kind of in the end of days, it's just if your good's better than your bad, then then you're all right. But that justice is never dealt with. The evil's never dealt with. All evil for God's people was dealt with on the cross through Jesus. So that God could both uphold justice as well as be the justifier by grace. Showing grace to his people who have faith in the Son. God deals with all the evil of his people on the cross, past, present, and future. So when we ask God to lead us in his righteousness, as David does here, We are taking refuge in the righteousness of Christ by faith in his name. Jesus is our refuge from the justice of God that will be meted out against all evildoers. Number four, David shows how to pray for justice. David shows how to pray for justice. We see this in verses 10 to 12. In the close of the psalm, David concludes here with two petitions. They serve as a model for how we can pray for justice as we behold evil in this world today. Firstly, his first petition shows us how to pray against the wicked. We see this in verse 10. David's prayer is a model for how we can pray against the wicked. In verse 10, David cries out to God, Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. David asks God to make all evildoers bear their guilt. Make them feel the weight of their wickedness. The consciousness of sin is an unbearable weight. When God chooses to press it down upon you. May they be driven mad by the weight of the abundance of their transgressions. May it be their undoing. Let them, as David says, fall by their own counsels. Let them fall by their own counsels. We can ask God to let wicked people be ruined by their own wicked schemes. Ahithophel hung himself when his own counsel turned against him in Absalom's rebellion. Judas Iscariot hung himself when the weight of his guilt became unbearable in his crime against the Son of God. How many dictators in history have died by the ruthless systems they themselves perpetuated? How many have ruined themselves by the insipid folly of their own devices? There is an irony to God's justice in that he often lets wicked people obliterate themselves. It is a sweet irony that he just lets people go to their own ruin by their own devices. God doesn't even need to intervene. So we can ask God to let people fall at their own hand. But regardless of how God does it, he will destroy all who rebel against him. That's the news that this world calls hate speech. But God will judge all. Everyone, not one, will get away who rebels against him. Him. When the cup of evil fills to the brim and overflows, all rebels will be thrown in the lake of fire. Unless the wicked seek forgiveness in Christ, all who perpetuate hell on earth will live in hell for eternity. Let me say that again. Unless the wicked seek forgiveness in Christ, all who perpetuate hell on earth will live in hell for all eternity. That's why we need a Savior. So that's how we can pray against the wicked. But how about for God's people? David closes this psalm with a prayer for God's people in verses 11 and 12. He says, But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. So David prays for God's protection so that his people can exalt in God. He prays for justice that we might worship him, that those who love you may exalt in you. He cries out to God. Joy in Christ is the greatest antidote to evil. Joy in Christ is the greatest antidote to evil. When we sing, the devil shudders. Look at our history God's people sang in the fields, and martyrs sang in the gallows, they sang in the kitchens. And they sung in ships' galleys. Whether slave or free, they rejoiced. In life and in death, they exalted in God. And it was that joy that overturned evil empires. Joy is the devil's ruin. God's army shall come forth singing as they crush the serpent's head. The heavenly host sings as they administer God's justice. Consider the book of Revelation as the angels are constantly singing as God's justice is meted out on the world. The whole book of Psalms is given so that we can sing of our victory in Christ as soldiers of the Most High. God's favor covers us like a shield. We can sing for joy as we pray for justice. We know that nothing in all creation can separate us from God's love. They may kill us, but they can't touch our soul. Because we fear God who can throw soul and body into hell, we fear no evil. Rather, we sing. We sing, we praise, we bask in the shelter of God's favor. So when we pray for justice, we pray for each other's joy. I pray for your joy when I pray for justice. We pray for joy, for gladness for one another. For joy is the battle. So sing, Christian. Sing, rejoice, exalt in your God who rescued you in Christ from the undoing of your own evil. Let alone anyone else's. We get consumed by other people's evil. But rejoice in the God who rescued you from your own evil. Sing, praise, rejoice. Delight in your God who covers you with his favor. Stop sulking around like a lost sheep ready to be devoured. Psalm 5 is a battle cry for justice. So put on strength as you pray for justice. And with your fellow heavenly countrymen, you all sitting around one another, Go forth in the battle for justice, singing the praises of Christ. Let's pray.